0: Good morning. morning. Uh, For those of you that I have yet to meet, uh, my name is Adam Hayes, and it is an honor and cause for uh, some nerves to be given the opportunity to deliver the sermon today. Uh, I have been a part of this church body for over 30 years now. Um, I have been involved here throughout the years as a teacher, uh, both within youth and adult ministries, and I was excited when Pastor Dan offered me the chance to uh, stretch my teaching a little further here into a Sunday morning. Um, so let's begin. Uh, our scriptural focus this morning is going to be from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, as you see on the screen. So I'll give you a moment to go ahead and turn there. Uh, in the New Testament, it's the eighth book in the New Testament. So you go through the four Gospels acts romans first corinthians then you'll find second corinthians so we're gonna be in chapter five verses 14 through 21 and today's sermon is titled ambassadors of reconciliation so I'm going to read it in its entirety I would love it if you would follow along with me starting at verse 14 it says for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Charles Habib Malik, a former Lebanese ambassador to the United Nations, had a stellar resume. He was the president of the Commission on Human Rights in the United Nations General Assembly. In fact, he was involved in the drafting of the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights. A member of the Lebanese cabinet, the head of the Ministry of Culture and Higher Education, and of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Emigration. On top of all of this, he was also a theologian. In one of the many assemblies in which he spoke, he asked, what has been the greatest American contribution to the rest of the world? Has it been money? Has it been food? Has it been medical skill? Has it been military might? Has it been industrial know-how? After a pause, he answered, the greatest thing to come out of America has been the American missionary effort, the quiet, selfless men and women who have left the comfort and security of their homeland to bring the gospel of Christianity to less favored nations. This morning, Our focus is going to be on the ministry of reconciliation and how those who have placed their trust in Christ have been assigned a new title, that of ambassador to those both within and outside of the church body to spread his message by imploring all to be reconciled to God. Reconciliation, when translated from Greek, most commonly alludes to a change or a transformation typically seen in a relationship, but it can also be tied to that of an exchange. Reconciliation, in the four times that Paul uses it in the New Testament, refers to a healing change in relationship between God and man, as well as a healing change in relationship between people. In order to experience reconciliation, there logically must be some sort of offense or a division that occurs within that relationship. After all, only when something is broken, does it need to be repaired? For humankind, that division from God occurred at the fall. Now, if God's plans ran only as deep as human beings ability to do what was required of them, then all of his displays of mighty power during creation would have been a flash in a pan or a failed experiment. How short lived the human race would have been if God, after seeing Adam and Eve fail, just simply sighed and said, well, I tried. Moving on. Thankfully, God is much more long-suffering than we contend to be. And his plans include eternity. So let's look together at our passage here in 2 Corinthians, starting with verses 14 and 15. Paul wrote here, the love of Christ compels us. If you were looking at the NIV, or as I read this morning from the ESV, he says he controls us. The power, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. So the question becomes, what is it that they have concluded? To paraphrase, the conclusion is that Jesus made a way for man to be reconciled to God by dying for all in order to pay the death penalty that we all deserved. For those who place their trust in Christ, they too have died. Not a physical death, but a death to sin and to their old selves. Their old way of being as paul phrased it in his letter to the romans found in chapter 6 verse 10 the death he died referring to jesus he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to god so you too must count yourselves dead to sin but alive to god in christ jesus much the same In verse 15, here in 2 Corinthians, Paul told the Corinthian church a similar application from this conclusion. He said, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Here we see that the supremacy of Christ is the focus, meaning that Jesus is held above all else. All creation, all people, all things in existence, the supremacy of Christ means that Jesus is held above all else. That is the focus. Jesus holds this place as supreme regardless of acknowledgement. It's not a matter of we gave him this title. It's not a matter of anything like that. He holds it regardless of our acknowledgement. But for those who do acknowledge, for those who do acknowledge him, They will live their lives for him and for his purposes. What does that look like in our day-to-day lives, holding Jesus up as above all else? How do we or can we acknowledge Jesus as above all things and people? Start by asking yourself, who or what holds the highest place in your life? Is it self? Is it security? is it somebody else someone you care for maybe have they in some way moved above Jesus in the in in the priority list in what ways does living for anything other than Jesus affect your life these are reflection questions I don't have the answers for you I can't tell you directly but it is something I encourage you to to reflect on to look and see is there any way that I am putting my trust or my faith in something other than Jesus Christ do I do I trust him do I trust him as supreme do I trust him as a, in control of all things here in the United States we don't culturally connect with life under a king or a sovereign but sometimes it could be motivating to be reminded that we Christians are in fact under the rule of a king whose kingdom is vastly more powerful and expansive than any kingdom the world has experienced firsthand this is a kingdom without borders. This is a kingdom that exists visually, where we can see, and it exists spiritually. It is expansive, beyond anything we can imagine. And those who are in Christ are under the king who rules all of that. Sometimes we just need that reminder. that's all it is. In this kingdom, there is a new way of living, where we put aside ourselves and we live under the reign of Jesus. It provides us with freedom to carry out a life that is pleasing to God by joining in the ministry of reconciling others to him and other Christians to each other. By faith in Christ, we are given a new life and a new mission. And with that comes a new perspective. In verse 16, here in 2 Corinthians, It says, from now on, three words that show a distinct transition from one way of being to another. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean to regard others according to the flesh? It means that we no longer look at others according to the world's standards or judgments. As though what is happening in the here and now is all that matters. That's how much of the world operates. It's just what is happening here is all that matters. We don't want to think beyond that. But to look at others as outside of just the flesh is to take eternity into account. It's to think about the way that God thinks about things. We must look at others either as those who have already been reconciled to God. And therefore... They are precious in his sight, and we ought to see them as the children of God, meaning our brothers and sisters, or we see those outside the universal church body as those in need of reconciliation. We see them as in need, and not only that, we see them as people who can be saved. The love of Christ, if it is truly in control of our lives, will give us the desire To deliver the message of hope which we have been given to share with everyone to no longer see people according to the flesh also means a more sober understanding that each human being is a soul in need we need to see people as more than just bodies taking up space around us c.s lewis wrote in the weight of glory there are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. The reality is that human beings are either spiritually dead in their sins or alive to Christ. And both lifestyles lead to eternal destinations to be controlled by the love of Christ is to care and to take on the ministry of reconciling others to God. Paul himself even admits in verse 16 that before his miraculous conversion where he interacted with the risen Jesus, that he regarded Jesus himself according to the flesh. Prior to this, he looked at Jesus through the perspective of Jewish law, and he found him lacking. He saw Jesus as a false Messiah, and that his suffering and death were a curse from God. How different Paul's perspective was after the truth was made evident to him. It personalizes his statement in verse 17 that much more, where he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Truly, Paul had an old way of living and a vastly different new way of living. This he attributed to the work of Christ. This transformation is still made evident in those who believe today yes to varying degrees but all who place their trust in christ are pulled from death into life from the old into a new creation from living for themselves to living for christ there's a story that was published about an illiterate couple who were converted by the work of the Salvation Army. Up until last week, you may have seen some people out there collecting donations for this organization with their red bell and bucket. This man, and this couple, this literate couple, this man went regularly to the Salvation Army church. One day he came home rather depressed. His wife asked him, what's the matter? He said, I've just noticed that all the people in the Salvation Army wear red sweaters, and I don't have one. So his wife knitted him a red sweater. The next Sunday, after he went to church, he was still unhappy. His wife asked, what's the matter this time? He said, I just noticed that all their all their sweaters have yellow writing. So she responded, don't worry, I will embroider some writing on for you. She had no idea what the yellow writing on the sweater, red sweaters ought to say, as she too could not read. So she ended up copying the writing on a sign that was in a store window opposite their home. When her husband came home the next sunday he told her that everyone loved his new sweater some said they even preferred his sweater to their own what neither of them knew was that the sign on the store window she had copied read under new management (laughs) all right might seem random but for those who are in christ there's a bit of a connection there we know we know what that could be what that could mean because when we come to christ by faith we are given new lives that are also under new management we are called to live differently by christ the bible makes it clear that when a person truly accepts by faith the salvation gift that god offers that person's life is essentially parted into two pieces two sides there is the life before christ and the life that carries on with him. What are some of the ways in which you have seen a clear break between your old life and your new life? When you look back, those of you who have come to Christ, when you look back, can you see an old way of living and you see the, way, the amazing ways that God has transformed you? Maybe he has helped you to deal honestly with people now. Where prior to, you'd find ways to maybe, you know, get some for yourself, cheat a little here and there. Maybe he gave you victory over an addiction. Maybe the pursuit of other people's acceptance has lost its appeal. Maybe that fear of death has been replaced with assurance of your eternal security. Those changes are a cause for celebration and thanksgiving, and we should recall them often. Those make for great testimonies. When people ask, why are you the way that you are? Why are you hopeful? Why are these things? You can tell them, well, this is what life was like before. This is what I was caught up in, and look what I've been saved from by Jesus. But on top of that, we also need to be on guard how have you seen old ways creeping into your life lately? Anything that's coming back? Because on this side of heaven, we are still vulnerable to sin. Remind yourself though with verse 17 here that you are a new creation. Listen when Jesus or other Christians remind you that that's not how we do things on this side of it all. We are changed. We are new creations. We need to Live accordingly. We are truly under new management. In verse 18, it says, all this is from God, meaning the transformation from an old to a new creation, the motivation to live for Christ, the ministry, all of it is from God. It was in his perfect plan to reconcile us to himself through Jesus and to then give us the ministry of reconciling others this means that god's desire to redeem us from our sins by placing them on his son was for the purpose of restoring us back into communion with our creator as it says there in verse 19 placing ultimately jesus above all else and then entrusting us to tell everyone What has occurred in our lives what has happened among it all we've been given the message all right keep your place in second corinthians you can either turn with me to colossians 1 15 through 20 or it will be on the screen but keep your place there in second corinthians if you do choose this hopefully this passage in colossians this hopefully reminds us and humbles us by communicating the true motives and methods of God. I know this isn't the basis of today's sermon, but bear with me. I figure we can't go wrong with simply reading scripture. It says, starting in verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So go ahead and go back to Corinthians, if you were looking. I believe in these five verses here found in Colossians that we are reading the whole story, if you will. From beginning to end, The reconciliation of all creation relied solely on Jesus Christ in order that he would receive the glory. And it is important that we do not forget that. We are absolutely the object of God's affections and his desire was to bring us to himself. And though the treatment Jesus went through was horrific, God did not reconcile us to himself in spite of Jesus but rather it was always the method in which Jesus would rise to supremacy above all things with that knowledge being given top priority with Jesus being seen in his supreme position we look back to Corinthians and we see that our reconciliation to God therefore is truly an act of grace. Why should we be given anything? If Jesus is supreme, if he went through all that he went through, why why do we benefit? It brings to mind the lyrics, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Within that word of ransom we see that iteration of reconciliation that fits more closely to an exchange that i mentioned earlier we were held captive by death and sin and separated from god the ransom required to free us was unmatchable and we were hopeless jesus therefore exchanged what only he could provide as the blameless blameless son of god he gave himself as our ransom to fulfill his father's desire that we would be reconciled to him. Jesus still offers today to exchange our broken and sinful lives for his righteousness if we will but place our faith in him. Reconciliation extends beyond just the forgiveness of sins, though. It includes it, but it doesn't end there. It is truly the restoration of relationship. We are kept tied to our new relationship with God when we continue to spread the message of how he reconciled us and how he is able and desires to do the same for others. Therefore, we look down at verse 20. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, what is an ambassador? If we were given this new title, it'd be good for us to have some know how of what is it? What is this we've been called to? What is an ambassador? The title of ambassador is considered the highest rank of diplomat, it's a highly trusted position. You are not just given this position. This is this is something that you are very much entrusted with. And the individual has placed on them the responsibility of representing their sovereign or ruling party. History shows us that ambassadors and foreign envoys were usually sent as a sign of friendship and goodwill to establish a relationship to renew friendly relations or to make an alliance as an ambassador from and for Christ our role is much in the same vein we are sent to bring about reconciliation for those who believe and have been transformed into new creations by God they have been given a new purpose as his representatives this ambassadorship can be expressed, or exercised, excuse me, both within the church and outside of it. And it should be carried out both within the church and outside of it. Within the church, Christians ought to seek reconciliation amongst each other. When a brother or a sister in Christ has a falling out, a worthy ambassador will implore them to be reconciled to God. When there is infighting intention, And ambassadors should step in and remind the offended parties of what Jesus did to restore their own relationship to God. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus said, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come And offer your gift. Now, prior to preparing for the sermon today, if I heard or read that statement, I'd often do a quick mental check and I'd ask, Am I holding onto a grudge with anybody? I'd stop and then I'd be like, No, I think I'm good. I think I've let most things go. But this last time I focused more on what Jesus actually said, which is always the right move. (laughs) Don't read into it yourself. What did Jesus actually say in this verse? what jesus said was that if your brother has something against you right my reflection changes then my reflection then becomes have i wronged anyone and simply walked away being an ambassador for reconciliation therefore isn't just about mediating other people's problems but being sure we are doing our part to keep relationships within the church healthy by treating each other with love and respect. That is our part for those within the church. Now, outside of the church as an ambassador, ambassadors must be mindful of whom they are representing to the world. Pastor Brian shared an illustration several years ago that has always stayed with me. While the details can vary depending on the source, the story goes that there was once a young soldier under the rule of Alexander the Great. This young man was on guard duty one evening and fell asleep at his post. Unbeknownst to the soldier, Alexander the Great had arrived that evening from another camp and was walking the premises. He arrived at the post to find the young soldier sleeping and woke him. The young man jolted awake and was terrified to see the most powerful man in the world in front of him. Alexander the Great stared at the soldier and asked, what is your name? The soldier said, Alexander, sir. Again, Alexander asked, what is your name? Alexander, sir, he yelled this time. Alexander the Great asked him one more time, what is your name? The soldier dropped his head and quietly said, Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great then replied, change your conduct or change your name. We must ask ourselves, are we representing Christ to the world in a manner that brings him honor and glory? We can call ourselves Christians But if our behavior and our treatment of others in the outside world contradicts who Jesus is, how damaging can that be? How damaging has that been? Sorry, I lost my place. (laughs) We ought to not brush off every grievance others have had with Christians. There is legitimacy to some. People have been wronged. And we need to accept that, we need to take that as a reality, and we need to act accordingly. We need to act as Christ would, as we ought to, as ambassadors of Christ. Consider this. You can be sure that an official ambassador that's representing a nation has all the documentation and identifiers to prove that they are who they say they are. Now, what if it weren't so easy for us to hide our Christianity? In those moments where we'd rather get our own way and not care how it looks, what if we had to wear a badge right here that said ambassador of Christ? Would it change our conduct? Now, the purpose of me sharing that illustration is not to leave you in a state of guilt. We can all think of times when we acted in ways that compromised our role as an ambassador for Christ. Rather, it is a call to responsibility for you and I. We ought to take seriously our role as Christ's representatives. When we step out into the world as Christ's ambassadors, we thankfully do not need to put on the pressure of padding the ego of a tyrant like Alexander the Great. Rather, we are privileged with being given a message of hope and restoration to deliver. We are the best kind of messengers. Of course, the gospel message meets resistance because it requires humility and an admittance of sin to receive. But do not be ashamed of the gospel message it is an offering of life to a dying world. Hebrews 12:14 is a great verse for an ambassador of Christ to apply in their daily life. It has become my personal work verse, if you will. It says, "Strive for peace with all men and for the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord." If we take that seriously, If we take that and we say, what if I'm the only person in this individual's life that could be the bridge, if you will. That could be the one who shows them the love of Christ. We ought to take that seriously. Do your best to represent your Savior authentically wherever you are and God will work out the details and he will reward you for it. Jesus' atoning love is described beautifully in verse 21. This is often considered one of those life verses. Verse 21, take a look at it in your Bibles. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right there, you have the gospel message. If you want a, a succinct sort of way to say it, there it is. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the message which we are entrusted with when we become a Christian. Our Savior was faultless, yet for our sake, he took the blame so that we would be the ones who are deemed faultless. It is the beauty of the gospel It is God's message to the world, and it pleases him to give us the role of ambassadors to ensure that his message continues to spread far beyond the military conquests of any tyrant. Near the end of his life, another known conqueror, Napoleon, was quoted by one of his closest advisors as having said, I know men, and I tell you, That jesus christ is no mere man between him and every other person in the world there is no possible term of comparison alexander caesar charlemagne and i have founded empires but on what did we rest the creation of our genius upon force jesus christ founded his empire upon love and at this hour millions of men would die for him This ministry of reconciliation, all of this is from God. Upon our being reconciled to him, he chose not to give us the title of soldier or judge, but that of ambassador. He gave us the responsibility of representing him and delivering his message of peace and restoration wherever it needs to be heard. How different could this new year look if we embraced the role of ambassador that was given to us when we were made new in Christ? What impact could be made if both within the church and outside of it, we faithfully implored others to be reconciled to God? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. Who made a way for us to be reconciled to you? Thank you, Lord, for entrusting those of us who are your children with a message of hope. I pray that we would take our role as your ambassadors to heart, and that when opportunities arise, we would faithfully speak of you with gentleness and love. Help us to live peacefully and intentionally within and outside of the church so that many may come to know you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.